We are live. Welcome to the Interop. This is a show where we talk about the decentralized economic networks that make up the interchain. And I'm here today with Braps. Hey. How you doing? Nice to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Good to hang out. Yeah. Um, on, 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 on a pretty, on a pretty I, I guess, you know, significant day since today is the day of the merge. Merge day. This is my second live stream today, <laughs> third podcast in two days. So, um, yeah, it's it pretty exciting. Where, where were you for the merge? Uh, in bed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just had like my laptop on top of a blanket and it kind of was um, half sleeping, half waiting for uh, the collapse, which never came. And it was like enormously successful. And then I just watched the ARB bots fight over the decline of die. So, oh, so actually this, this is something that I, I haven't, Followed up on today because I was over at Zika Summit, but this morning I was here. We're talking with you know folks that were here, like Martin Kobelman and, and Stefan and, and other people, and mm. and um, yeah, we we were sort of speculating about what would happen with uh, the Ethereum proof of work chain. And so, what happened? Well, it's, I think I don't think it's live yet. I okay. think I think that they're just releasing the source code now, and uh, it's a pretty uh, stark divide in communities, from my understanding. Uh, between the people that are sort of pro proof of work merge surviving versus just moving into the future that was kind of set out upon seven years ago. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting uh, case in sort of technical or uh, it's a milestone in technical history where you have this huge transition of, uh, of, a, of an entire ecosystem, which is comprised of a bunch of economic actors that have like enormous invested interests in uh in sort of economic composability sort of shifting weight you know onto another foot uh all at once it was uh, pretty incredible to, to to observe so so we haven't witnessed any of the you know like cascading liquidations or like the die uh, emergency shutdown mechanism and we that that hasn't happened yet no i haven't i haven't seen that i think uh so so people like like searchers were, were mostly uh eyes on MEV boost and seeing how that infrastructure was going to play out like on, but on, 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 on the proof of stake chain, on the proof of stake chain. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. So like, I guess this is a big day for Flashbots, So we should call it to them for all the hard work they've been doing and integrating with multiple clients and getting the searchers to reintegrate and even fielding a lot of the concerns that the community has had over uh, the approach of, of, of proposer builder separation. And um, yeah, I think their first, the first MEV boost, uh, block landed maybe two hours after the merge. And uh, we're actually seeing some initial numbers of like the distribution. So now in MEV Boost, it's not just Flashbots. So for those who are unfamiliar, um, Flashbots essentially in, in proof of stake provided like a slot auction to sort of uh, democratize MEV revenue to validators. And then when it switched to uh, proof of stake, they introduced this uh, uh, PBS system called MEV Boost, which is essentially to ensure the economic viability of small validators, yeah. right? And um, of course, when proof of stake went live, it went live with with uh, with with um, with MEV Boost, and and we're seeing, I mean, what we expected, what we, we saw in, in testnet that uh, that it was going to work. So it seems to be going all right. And in the the current ar architecture, it's no longer just a single entity. That is running the infrastructure. So in proof of proof of stake, it was it was mostly flashbots. Uh, but in oh sorry, in proof of work, it was flashbots. In proof of stake, it's now BlockX route mm. has two relays, and um, and then flashbots has has their sort of uh, auction system. 
And you could actually see some initial numbers on who is winning the slot auction, like with the with, with the builder. So mm -hmm. right now, well, Flashbots is winning most of the time. But yeah. So let, let, let's let's just put a pause on, on that for a second. Like we're going to talk about that. But first, like, who are you? Oh, right. <laughs> and, and, and what are you working on? And uh, you know, for, for our listeners who perhaps aren't, aren't familiar with you, uh, tell us you know, who you are. You, know, you, you were previously at, 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 uh, sure. at Interchain Foundation and then informal oh, and had right. this history in Tenement and in Cosmos. And so I'd like to start maybe right, there. Sorry. <laughs> I think I just got too excited for merch. Yeah, right? it, it is right. exciting. Like the thing about crypto <laughs> is that things move so quickly that there isn't really a history. It's kind of like an ahistoric ecosystem so when you like zoom out and actually have to say like wh where are you from what is your name or whatever you're like wait what does that have to do with <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay no uh i guess i go by the name uh, monica of, of, of braps and uh, i'm initially from uh, montreal but I, I lived in berlin for 10 years where we probably first caught um cross paths and i was working at a company called SoundCloud and built out their data science team so my background is pretty pretty technical um and statistical in, in in many ways and as you mentioned probably around 2017 i got or 2016 i got involved in crypto mostly um to to work in financial inclusion started mm. a company named topos which does uh, uh banking for migrants currently deployed um in nigeria doing the the, the financial court the migrant corridor between uh, nigeria and uh, and the uk in, mm -hmm. in particular but also the rest of the world and uh, did that for a couple of years until I kind of um, realized that, you know, technology as a, as a mechanism for inclusion is always going to run up against regulation. And that's like a whole a whole other uh, beast that is not sort of in my wheelhouse of uh, of technology and statistics. Yeah. So I decided to um, sort of move the, the cutting edge of, of the industry by, by taking a position at uh, the Interchain Foundation. So this was before IBC. So I spent some time at... When did you arrive at Energy Foundation? 2019. Okay. You were here in the Berlin office. I was here in the Berlin office, yeah. Okay. Never in this room, but uh, close by. Yeah. Close by. Yeah. <laughs> right, right by here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then worked on, on Tendermint and, and shipped IBC. And, uh, and also worked at Informal. So building systems for formal verification of IBC and Tendermint. Obviously, uh, and then probably around um, May of last year, I left to uh, start a company with uh, with Alex Zimmerl called Mechatech. Um, so I guess our our, our motivation for uh, for starting Mechatech was was really looking at at IBC as sort of like a socio economic political system and not just a technical system, and trying to fill in some of the gaps of, of what was missing in terms of incentive alignment. IBC as a socioeconomical system. Yeah, sure. Please elaborate. Well, like you have people, uh, if it's going to be a decentralized system, so Cosmos, the, the Cosmos thesis is all about sovereignty. So sovereign communities, sovereign people acting independently, but with lower coordination costs to sort of reflect their common values, yeah. right? organizing um, self-sovereign communities. And uh, I think in many ways it does this in a, in a very different way than, say, Ethereum, which is like one giant community, one giant or not one giant community. But at the consensus layer, let's say, yeah. is one group of uh, one now enormous group of people um, that that. Well, that's not true. It could be a bunch of different people, but actually it's mostly just Kraken, Coinbase and Lido, <laughs> uh, probably because um, it wasn't the consensus algorithm was not conceived um, purely through the or like with sufficient sensitivity 
to the socioeconomic and political dimension of, of running these systems, right? Um, so seven years ago, or when, when, did, when did the ETH2 sort of roadmap get laid out? It was like, you know, a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the white paper already talked about proof of stake. And I mean, certainly the white paper already talked about transitioning to proof of stake. Right. And then, you know, very shortly after those, I'm not exactly sure, like when these conversations and when things actually start sort of being built. But yeah, I think they it's, had, it's a long time coming. They had many false starts. And and one of them was like when Tendermint was released, when when Jaquan uh, sort of designed Tendermint and took PBFT and added some timeouts. And had a very practical system for, for for doing proof of stake, which could have been a viable option for uh, Ethereum. But Ethereum decided to go a different way, and they decided to go a different way um, in in a in a very very specific dimension. So Tendermint chose safety over liveness, yeah. And um, Ethereum wanted to do uh, liveness over safety. So the big difference between, I guess, those consensus algorithms was is that um, there is a period of time of which. Ethereum 2 will not have will not finalize the blocks versus Tendermint has instant finality. Right? Yeah. And there's certain advantages to that, like you could have a larger validator set. So validator sets in, in Tendermint based chains can be anywhere from 125 to say 500 people versus the idea of, of, of E2 is that you have like tens or even hundreds of thousands of validators. That was the theory. So when the research roadmap for Ethereum 2 set out, it was looking at these different dimensions, different trade-offs, chose a set of uh, trade-offs that would give them higher decentralization, right? From a technical standpoint, but from a political, from an economic and political standpoint, in ETH2 today, you know, you have like three parties that could, uh, I think it's two parties that could threaten liveness of, uh, of Ethereum 2, as it is today. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just Lido and Coinbase. And if you add Kraken, um, you can actually uh, threaten safety as well. Mm. So I think my co-founder and I saw this playing out. Uh, we knew that there was this this, this new field of, of economic study of, of blockchains about how do you make them decentralized and how do you um, form communities around them. And a lot of that work was happening underneath the sphere of MEV. Mm. I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, this is also the case in in many cosmos chains where you know a handful of validators effectively control beyond 30 percent or beyond even maybe 50 percent of the channel like i haven't looked at the actual numbers but sure many cosmos chains have highly concentrated uh staking providers uh in the top 10 yeah which you know has has hindered governance i think in some instances uh absolutely and uh could perhaps even um threaten uh Safety. Safety of the chain, yeah. Yeah, so if you look at the Cosmos chains, there's like four or five really, really big ones. Um, Cosmos Hub, Osmosis, Juno, and Evmos would, would be would be the biggest. Um, the centralization uh, across them is not even. It's actually probably probably the worst on Evmos, but it's also the youngest, so you can see they're in there and they're trying to fix that. It's probably, in some ways, the best on, on the Cosmos Hub. The Cosmos Hub has probably one of the most mature validator sets um, in terms of infrastructure providers, but it does have a lot of uh, top validators that are institutions. So uh, Coinbase Custody is a top validator, Cosmos Hub, um, and then uh, Paradigm is also a, a, a top validator in the, in the Cosmos Hub. And those particular validators, so Binance, Coinbase Custody, and Paradigm are, are you know, they're good infrastructure providers, but in particular, they don't vote. Yeah. Right. So they yeah. don't really represent the sort of community spirit that is sort of core to the sovereignty thesis of, of, of Cosmos. Yeah. Um, 
versus other chains like uh, Osmosis is a little bit uh, more decentralized. But the point is this, that even though there are some challenges to Cosmos in terms of decentralization, in terms of, uh, of, of, of governance and participation, it is better insofar as those are like chain-specific problems, as in the Cosmos Hub can solve that problem in a Cosmos Hub-specific way versus Evmos can look upon solving that problem in an Evmos-specific way. It's the beauty of app chain sovereignty and yeah. every chain having to deal with with its own issues uh, sort of independently but, but I mean, and the beauty of it that because it's all using because all these chains are using essentially the same software exactly uh, they can sort of set practices and maybe even like set standards around how these things they could try managed. to or yeah. they could even fuck up in parallel in the yeah. ideal so insofar as they are independent uh validator sets insofar as like the validators on um the cosmos hub are not the exact same validators on osmosis right we could actually learn as a community faster. The problem that MechaTech is trying to solve is that this is actually not the case. And actually, the incentives are not aligned for that to continuously be the case. It's actually there's a disproportionate advantage of being a validator on multiple chains. So one advantage is that you like you know how to run a node. That's one advantage that you have. Another is that you have reputation. Reputation yeah. that you develop on one chain will help you uh, build a delegate and build a community on another chain. And the, the problem is that the more, even though the economic incentives are for that, um, the community incentives are against that. So as a community, the more the communities they take part in, the question is, do you really represent that community? Yeah. Are you really allowing uh, communities to be sovereign and to evolve in parallel? Yeah, and I think there's also the question, uh, I mean, you make a good point that, you know, so there's economies of scale in, in, in running a validator where, you know, once you've, once you've established, you know, your, your stack, it's very easy in Cosmos to then, like, just spin up new validators on new chains and mm -hmm. like that that's like mostly a solved problem then um then there is the yeah the reputational aspect and certainly validators uh have an incentive to build reputation so you know you see validators like building brands and having like clear um clear sort of like uh voting um practices and, and things of that nature um, you know, we're thinking of we're thinking of spinning up validators that fund public good, and that's so that would be like kind of our marketing spiel, right? It's like yeah. our validators fund public good, and so hopefully, like people will will de delegate to us, and that makes sense for us. Um, and then th there, there's also the, there's also this idea that cross cross across the interchain ecosystem, uh, it, you know, if if we have um, most of the chains uh, with the same validators, like is the ecosystem really decentralized uh, like across the interchain so if like say i don't know validator a validator b and validator c uh and validator d and e are in the top 10 of like all the major chains um does that represent it does that represent decentralization across the interchain and i think like some folks are doing research around there around understanding the interplay between um the security of different chains and mm -hmm. like how inter interdependent uh, the validator sets are is that something you, you looked at? I think they will be, as long as they're, like, to be in Cosmos just means to be connected by IBC. And there will always be sort of, like, uh, asynchronous uh, and ideally interdependencies between chains as they compose functionality. That's, like, a good thing. The bad thing and the, and the sort of economic problem that we are uh, most concerned it, with at, at Mechatech is that um, if you have, like, the unique privilege of sequencing blocks on multiple blockchains then your execution risk of co-sequencing or doing cross-chain operations is dramatically lower than everyone else. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you're a market maker on Osmosis, as well as on, on Crescent, on Crescent Dex, and you want to like 
do a trade to arbitrate some small discrepancy or you notice a price on osmosis is far lower than a price on Crescent X, right? If you have the unique privilege or if you have the privilege of sequencing both those blockchains at the same time, so your proposer of, of a block on osmosis at the same time that you're a proposer of the block on, um, on Crescent X, right? Then you could do that operation dramatically faster, which is with dramatically less risk and more profitably mm -hmm. than every other person. Mm -hmm. So that means that there is the economic incentive to centralize the network. And this is the field of cross-chain MEV where Megatech has been sort of researching and developing products for. And this is, this is what you mean when you say that MEV is a centralizing force, that it, 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 forces validators to, or it incentivizes validators to become bigger and to have more, uh, more of a probability of, of, of being a proposer on several chains at the same time. That's exactly right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a field that gives you a disproportionate advantage, like a super linear advantage of being bigger. So like as a small validator, you're probably not going to run operations to uh, extract MEV. And you're probably not going to sort of like manage bilateral agreements or off-chain agreements with searchers to sort of sell your block space at an efficient price. Yeah. Uh, versus a large validator like the the block daemons, um, the chorus wants so not to call out any, anyone by name, but these are very successful uh, members of a community that do have this unique unique privilege, and that as a community we need to develop sort of incentive structures and better protocols for mediating this centralizing force. Mm. So maybe let's let's just like take a step back here and because yeah, I think like MEV and like you, you talk about flashbots and I, I feel like this is a topic that's very much talked about in the Ethereum space, but maybe like less so in the Cosmos space, or at least like in my Twitter feed, people talk about MEV a lot less uh, when I'm looking at like my Cosmos list and like if I'm yeah. looking at my like Ethereum uh, EVM list, like it seems like everybody's talking about MEV and MEV research and flashbots and everything. Um, so maybe just like to contextualize, what is the history of MEV in, in Ethereum? And when, when, like, when did the research start, uh, you know, being, being built around this? In particular, I think like Flashbots was sort of a shelling point around it. Yeah, I think that the, the research mostly came from uh, like TradFi, either in uh, like HFT research. So looking at how uh, people buy order flow, how fees are paid and, and how those markets develop and how services around those markets are, are, are structured. So in particular in HFT, a lot of the fees are very low because the doesn't cost anything, but more, most of the profits for, for markets come from like co-selling um, real estate sort of close to the exchange mm -hmm. so that people like HFT firms can, um, can, can get lower latency execution. So they pay for the execution through the, um, just being closer to the exchange. Yeah. So much to the point where they actually like measure the fiber optic cables, yeah. um, the thing in this creates all the servers have the same length of fiber optic cable. Yeah. So like no matter if you're closer to the door or further away from the door, the length of the fiber optic cable is the same. Yeah, because they're trying to provide an, uh, a, a commodity, right? Yeah, Which yeah. is access to the inventory. And this and this creates a lot of weird dynamics. Like in for for retail users who might use like a, a fee-less um, trading service like um, like Robinhood, for instance, the question is like, why is it free? When free is like the benevolence of like Venture capital-backed startups is one idea. Another idea is that there's actually a, a viable business model behind selling order flow that has nothing to do with fees. So that's how that market developed, and that's how it, it centralized around you know big firms like Citadel who could pay Robinhood for for that order flow at the expense of retail users. You know that that's what happened in, in, in TradFi. What happened in Ethereum? Because you know for a long time, like 
blockchains are still very new, the market's still developing, and even AMMs are, are, were not built that long ago. We used to have order books like ETH Delta was, a, was an order book-based system, which would have had a completely different uh, market evolution dynamics if it, if it was fast enough at that time. But really what happened with, with, with AMMs is that people started um, racing in the mempool at the expense of the validators. So in the same way that in TradFi, people would buy fiber optic tables, cables to get the best execution, people would uh, race on a, in, in the peer-to-peer -peer layer mm. of Ethereum to sort of bid as, le as little as possible to get an opportunity to get execution at a, at a really good price. Yeah. And this created a lot of spam. So the amount of the, we, we call this an MEV, like a, a negative externality of trying to buy something that you want. So you want execution, you have money to pay for it. And the only way to do that is go through the wrong place, which is the peer-to-peer -peer layer, is that every node in the network has to service this garbage traffic. So there's a, there's a transaction that is never going to get executed, that is just an incremental bit of information is now being is now burdening every single Ethereum node is what was happening. So this was uh, the research of, of, of Phil Dion and co in the Flash Boys 2.0 paper. So like from Flash Boys 1.0 was HFT. Flash Boys 2.0 was the Ethereum uh, priority gas auctions that were essentially spamming the network. And that's what sort of incentivized um, Phil and 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 uh, and his team the Ghost Step and Co. to put all of that garbage into an auction system, to put that system where people could just pay for what they wanted. Because that way, one, the negative externalities of spam and of, of garbage P2P traffic would be eliminated. Traders could get exactly the execution they wanted, and they would actually maximize the revenue for the validator. So instead of it, the utility being bled out through computational resources, it was just a price. Um, so that, that's where Ethereum came from. Mm. And there's a like, you know, there's this idea of like good MEV and bad MEV, maybe that it, it's worth getting into here. And um, I was watching earlier like this talk that that Sonny did at, at Nebula Summit, and right. um, um, and where he 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 describes good MEV and bad MEV. Can you can you break that down for us? I think it's a it's a it's kind of a, an annoying topic. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's, it's fine. We'll, we'll we'll have some 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 fun with it. In insofar as it for for there and be any clear categorization of good and bad MEV, it requires such a preliminary understanding of like market dynamics and how this thing is is, is going to play out. Like you could say that a bad MEV is one that um, let's let's take one definition. If you use information from the mempool to decide on a trading strategy, that's bad MEV which might incentivize you to, um, I don't know, randomize the, um, the, 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 the mempool or whatever. So this is one idea that has been played out and created worse outcomes for the user. So when mm. you randomize the, the, the mempool, it means that you're incentivizing people to just spam for the best chance of getting, and you've, you've recreated the exact system that yeah. we've been trying to get away from, yeah. right? So these formulations of good and bad MEV don't, don't really make, make sense because there's all... They, they just push the externality somewhere where it may not may, may not belong. Mm. I think that a better, better way to think about MEV is about overlapping incentives and to figure out where do they intersect and where do they maximize joint utility for the community members that are that, that are operating there. In particular, like if someone if like if you have um, if your mortgage is gonna is gonna go go bust the. The bank is going to repossess your house if you don't uh, file a mortgage payment. You need to put a check in an envelope 
and send it to the bank 12 p.m. Sorry, 5 p.m. and a business Friday, let's say. Yeah. And then you have a system like a, like a, like a postal service, right? That just has one box. It has envelopes and everyone's in there. So the utility to you of like, of, or say, you know, Columbia House is sending a CD to grandma that doesn't you might want... need to remind some of the people listening to this what a cd is <laughs> so, a, a, a compact disc is like a laser engraved data format that people used to put crystal waters on you yeah. know they used to put like cds and they used to send them to grandma like through the postal service and people would get them and you put them in the, in your cd player there's like a cd player that you know had like play and stop and fast forward and stuff like that and they they kind of use the postal service like to, to great expense of a lot of people because it was just like it's one box. And if you get in the box, then your stuff gets sent. And if you're not in the box, your stuff gets sent. So the marginal like cost to like Columbia House to send a CD is effectively zero. Like whether grandma gets it or not, she's probably not going to listen to it. Right. So they could just use that system. But the marginal like cost to you who's trying to like file your 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 mortgage payment at like 459 Friday evening, right? Is the cost of your fucking house. Right. So the question is, like, is that a good system? And like, is the inability like who, if, if, if it's good, if you have like a randomized, like someone who gets in there is randomized. So you like have a 50 50 probability between yourself and Columbia House of like grandma getting a CD or whatever. Does that maximize the joint utility of society? I would say no, because those 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 incentives just don't overlap. So I think there's there's generally two camps. There's like the um, minimize MEV at the protocol layer, so either randomize or encrypt or whatever. And then there's like sort of the uh, make MEV legible, right? And, uh, and have, have the market do it. Like. Have, the, have the market, like introduce a market to, to, to let people pay for, for what they need and allow those overlaps of incentives to be rendered in price, mm. you know? So those are the two camps. In Mechatech, we're firmly, we're, we're firmly on that camp because- On which camp? On the on market the, camp? On the market camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, um, because we have we have, you know, twenty years of of, of research and market evolution to support the fact that pe if people cannot pay for what they want uh, in a in an efficient way, they will build systems around it, mm. and those systems are usually worse for small people. Okay, and well, I mean, so you, coming back to 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 the Cosmos ecosystem, and you know, you were talking about Osmosis and and Crescent, um, you know, Osmosis. Uh, yeah, implemented a uh, mechanism to encrypt transactions such that uh, the quote unquote bad MEV uh, couldn't happen or was much more difficult to uh, to implement. What what are so what are some of the externalities that this causes? Right. So in, on one in one extreme, you're talking about right. the fact that like randomizing just creates an opportunity for more people to spam the system in order to get in. But like encrypting transactions, what's what are the external negative externalities that, that could create? Well, for one, uh, so for Veo is the system which is designed, which is uh, uses threshold encryption to provide uh, pre-commit finalization, pre-commit um, privacy to transactions. Mm -hmm. Right. So it means that as a user, you know, you uh, encrypt your transaction, and then it only gets revealed to the user once the block's finalized. To, yeah. when, when, when it's finalized. Yeah. So I mean, you can look at the 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 externalities in multiple categories. One is that um, the current mechanism requires all users to bid the top of the gas price for inclusion. So you can't like modulate your, your, your gas price. There's no gas limit in Forveil. So every transaction, whether it uses that amount of gas or not, it's spent. So it's not like a, a very efficient mechanism in that way. Okay. Another way that it's not efficient is 
so first of all, it's great. I shouldn't just like it's amazing. What's it called? Ferveo? Ferveo is the, is the paper that was put out by uh, Deb and um, sorry, I forget. I think his name is John from uh, Anoma. It's it's fantastic work, and and I, I should really um, praise it as an example of the flexibility that you can get with ABCI plus plus. So the mm -hmm. fact that you could implement threshold encryption uh, is like a, is a tendermint specific advantage, right? Because you have access to all these callbacks. Yeah, uh, for for block construction and gossip, you could instrument at that level. So it's 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 very very exciting. So I, I, we need to recognize that you know we're moving the state of the art forward as a community, um, and that this is a step forward. But there are still drawbacks. So beyond the benefits, right, or the purported benefits, right, we look at it critically just because it, in the name of evolution. Okay, so mm -hmm. I should say that for, from from the get go. So from a gas efficient standpoint, it's worse. From a latency perspective, it's worse. So you have to, um, one, encrypt data. You have to figure out what to encrypt. So who you, who you get the encryption shares from. Or the way that, that threshold encryption works is that as someone who wants to encrypt something, I trust a bunch of people, a distributed set of people, to provide partial keys. right? Yeah, yeah. And then I take those partial keys and I encrypt my stuff. And I trust them that they're only going to reveal those keys at the right time. That's my, th those are the trust assumptions uh, for Veil. Yeah. And in particular, I think it's, it's two thirds. You need to, you need to trust two thirds of the validator set um, to, um, to, to not pre-reveal, to, to not extract MEV in, in this case, which has several drawbacks. Beyond the one about gas, it, it's also pretty slow. I think the current estimates, it's like 21, it's a 21x uh, speed uh, decrease. Mm. So it increases the, um, the latency of transactions, like the, like the time it takes to, to get execution a lot, which means like as a user who's trying to execute a trade, you're going to get a far worse execution. You're going to pay more for a worse price mm. because it's going to take longer. Is it worse than, say, getting sandwiched? You know, we got to figure that out. There's a lot of arguments that say that actually sandwich attacks improve uh, um, routing and execution in aggregate. Um, but so that's worse about it. Another thing that's worth it is the premise that two thirds of the validator set would not collude to extract MEV is categorically untrue in the case of, of Ethereum and Flashbots. So Ethereum Flashbots, they went from like zero to like 75%, I think in two months. That now, collude. Yeah, the, as in like the, the number of the, the amount of hash rate that doesn't go through flash rates is like, you know, 10% or, mm. or, or less. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah. So and uh, and now with MEV boost, I haven't looked at the numbers, um, but the assumption is that the majority of validators are going to want to extract MEV, MEV because the consequence of not is getting diluted. Mm. So if you have, I think the current estimate for the the difference, the APR on MEV is probably going to be about six or seven percent, let's say. So if you're making six or seven better returns in a proof of stake network, or worse, you're a validator and you're going to take like a six to seven percent haircut on your returns. How long are you going to be in the voting set for? Yeah. You have a fixed amount of people in the validator set, 150, whatever it is. You got people who are compounding five to six percent yeah. over you. How long do you expect to be in business? Yeah. Right. So it's not you're, so, you're just going down that validator set day after day. Exactly. As as your as your competition is compounding those returns. Yeah. Right. So I guess the in addition to the commissions they're making here. Exactly. And I guess the the um in 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 the lingo we, we say this is not uh, incentive compatible or mm. like it is not in the, I guess the why, why do you think this is not ha this isn't happening on 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 osmosis yet why do you think that validators are not 
yet colluding or, or are they? I, I don't know. The volume's too low. Volume's too low. Okay. Volume's too low. Yeah. yeah. So I guess like, like, uh, so you think that there's a, there's a point at which like the, there's a threshold where validators start to say, okay, there's MEV here and there's something that like they, they go away from this, like sort of, yeah, they, they start to want to in, align their incentives. Like their incentives it's, become compatible. It's, it's 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 very much already happening. If you look at Terra, that was doing a billion dollars of, of volume from day. We were in the market when it, when it, when it collapsed and it was very competitive. Yeah. Right? It was very busy. Blocks were full. Users were getting impacted by the negative externalities of the me of the, the token fee mechanism on on Terra when, when, it, when it collapsed. So it's real. There are firms. They're very serious um, because there was a billion of, of volume per day. For 10 million in volume on osmosis, on no one gets out of bed for that. If you look at like the, the numbers that the Chorus One's posting, we're talking like two to three K per day. Those those reflect our numbers as well. We do it mostly uh, as market makers to just balance liquidity in the pools. It's like a utility for the for the ecosystem. But for instance, like Jump is never going to, to to market make for those volumes. It's just not worth it for them. But the expectation, especially in Cosmos, which is which is growing so fast. Right, and only needs these singularities. It could be DUI DX coming into Cosmos with with a billion dollars of of, uh, of volume uh, per day, which those markets are going to evolve very very quickly. So I would say like we can't take the current state of things for granted. Mm. So, you know, in in um, in Cosmos. Um, Well, yeah. Let, 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 before we go there, may, maybe let's talk a little bit about yeah, me Megatech and uh, like what you guys are building. And I, I, like, there's not a whole lot of information yet, so I, I don't know. Like, we're so when bad you're at ready marketing. To, when you're ready to launch, or if you have launched, or but uh, oh, we've, we've launched. Okay. Uh, so like, Megatech is building out the builder layer for for Cosmos, right? So we're trying to align the economic incentives for the decentralization of Cosmos to ensure like um, that there that the that Cosmos owns actually our communities of people of, of, of a range of people like large validators, institutions, the block daemons, the figments, um, mid range, the, you know, the chorus ones. These are these are excellent people, as well as small validators that uh, propose more more radical progress. Right. So we like, need to like interrupt, delegate like, to interrupt, like, like <laughs> interrupt, interrupt, like validators. Um, I guess notional is, is not that small, but they are quite radical, and I think they are an important voice yeah. uh, ensuring the you know the cement doesn't dry on this on this community. Um, so the the first version of that is live, and it's it's just a um, a top of block auction for searchers. So we run searching operations to do market making. Uh, we had invested in infrastructure to sort of like navigate the the FIFO market to win latency races, and it felt like a waste of engineering resources to like pay Amazon more money just to co-locate servers to be able to, to run profitable operations. So we moved all of that um, that infrastructure into what we're calling the Builder API, which is currently live with, with, with a few validators. We're just polishing off the last few touches before we sort of make it permissionless, but it will be permissionless. So anyone could sort of, as a, as a searcher, you'll be able to use it, you know, um, uh, at your whim, at the integration, have some documentations maybe we'll put in the in the show notes, and then as a as a as a validator, you'll also be able to sort of subscribe for blocks that are subject to um, to this auction mechanism and increase your overall revenue without uh, affecting latency or 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 health of the, of the network. Okay, so what what does the product look like now, practically speaking? So is it something that validators validators can already use, or is it like for another sort of category of searchers that are 
just looking for the MEV opportunity. Like, what? So as like a validator yeah. who's, um, you know, doing a lot of things like validators, they gossip transactions. They have like mempools. They actually order transactions. And the idea is like our validators, the best people at maximizing, like building the optimal block. Like if block construction is like ordering transactions, whatever, are they the best people at doing that? Or and are every is each validator equally good at it to ensure like optimization of, of, of the overall network? I'd say no. Um, that's not really their, their specialty and probably not what they want to do. So instead, they call out to us, which is an API service, like the builder API from Mechatech, and uh, we give them the block. Now, how do we construct the block? Well, we work with searchers, so our searchers, other other people's searchers, to uh, essentially figure out who wants to pay the most for that block space. What is mm -hmm. what is the real value of that? And we do that off chain, and then provide it to the validator when they ask us. Okay, that's interesting. So, as a validator, you know, you you receive uh, transactions uh, through the mempool. Um, I, I I mean. I'm not so much into like the technical weeds here, but of running the validator, but I guess the validator is doing kind of like first in first out yeah. um, ordering of transactions. That's probably like the default behavior of a Cosmos SDK chain validator. Uh, what you're proposing is where there's, there's a, some piece of software that's running on your node. It is calling your API and it's saying, what's the optimal uh, exactly. ordering of transactions that I should implement here. And then, also some extra transactions probably that will allow you to ex uh, extract some um, amount of profit from exactly. that ordering. So in the case of which like your mortgage is past due and you just want to get into that block at that height, yeah. you could just pay the validator who then pays their delegators for that service. Isn't that also a little bit of a, like I see that also as like a centralizing force in that you are proposing the you're, you you essentially are proposing all of the block ordering to all the validators. So, what what's the risk? What's the risk that your API is providing faulty data that um, uh, that causes validators to sign faulty blocks and then get slashed? Well, right now we always provide the. Um the the validator so the the actual integration for the validator is a patch that has like a fallback mechanism which okay. ensures that the validator can always propose its own block okay. okay talk about the builder layer we're talking about many components and this is just like a first iteration of it that comes with certain trust assumptions that is purely meant to reduce the negative externalities of, of spam right over time there will be multiple builders so for instance, like Mechatech will be a builder. Maybe mm -hmm. BlockX route will be a builder. I know Flashbots is, is a builder. Skip is going to be a builder. The idea is that there'll be many builders and that they're competing to maximize revenue for the delegators, mm -hmm. right? So there will be uh, a, a more advanced version that will allow sort of like load balancing between different builders so that there actually is like that sovereignty all the way to the validator layer to ensure that they could choose one, what do they, they want to sell? Do they want to sell top of block? Do they only want to sell the end? Do they want to sell the middle? They should be able to sell whatever they want. And who do they want to sell it to? Mm. So that's that's the evolution that will be sort of like robust to any one party, whether it be us or Flashbots, BlockX Route or whatever, sort of maybe sanctioning or just not reflecting the best interests of, of the network. The builder layer, so our service, right, needs to be a member of a builder layer, which needs to be competitive for the overall robustness of the system. Okay. And... Um... I guess like what's the latency? Because like if you're if you're running like on Evmos, blocks are like fairly 
uh, frequent. It's like every couple of seconds. So it's very fast. Yeah. Yeah, it's very fast. We were only on osmosis today. Okay. Um, but I mean, so all of us, the, the engineers at, 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 at Mechatech were, all come from um, distributed systems. We do this a long time. We can build fast systems that can do this in under a second. Okay. That's not really the, the risk right now. Okay. Um, yeah. Let, I'd like to talk a little bit about like this idea of cross-chain MEV because yeah, coming from this perspective that we have individual app chains that want to maintain their sovereignty, of course, the, right. the issue here is that we don't have composability and we need to build systems that allow chains to interact with each other. So like IBC is one way to do that. But once we get into other ecosystems that perhaps have different finality, uh, assumptions and um, mm -hmm. uh, then we need to construct other systems so we have like bridges is one like and, and of which there are several different um, new design patterns uh, which uh, have their varying trade-offs uh, so when looking at just at the maybe let's start with the IBC ecosystem what are the MEV opportunities and like what are some practical applications of MEV when um, when moving tokens across uh, different chains Currently, and then like in the future, as we start to expand IBC with other features. Right. So in the sort of, um, when we think about MEV, we think about sort of the, the the supply chain of like people who like produce it and people consume it. So in the easiest sense, let's like just start simple, right? So you're executing a transaction only on osmosis. So there's like a wallet that sort of constructs or is the originator of that transaction, yeah. right? And that submits to some either through uh, to, to, to MechaTech or directly to the to, to the gossip layer or or whatever, and then eventually gets finalized uh, on on osmosis, right? So there's like the originator, there's probably some kind of like builder in between, and then there's the proposer that actually does it, and all of them need to be compensated to ensure the incentive alignment of the ecosystem. That's like the single chain case. In the interchain case, things get a little bit tricky. So in the case of which um, there's some, so let's go back to Crescent and Osmosis, where you could see like there, there's some overlapping in trading pairs between those two chains. So if there's, if, you know, Osmo is, is you know, 125 on Osmosis and then $3 on Crescentex, you know, there's some certainty that you could probably, depending on the depth of the pool, yeah. you know, that there's money to be made there. And the question is like, who should be compensated for that or how? So let's say in the current state of things, um, osmosis, osmosis, whether it's encrypted or not. So say, say osmosis adopts for veil and provides pre, uh, commit privacy, pre finalization privacy. So no one knows anything before, um, the transaction is finalized on osmosis, right? But the finalization event is actually an origination of, of MEV. So when you finalize, it tells you that that price is going to be 124 and that there's a trade there. And you could use that to make, you know, whatever the spread is between you and Crescent Dex. And who gets compensated for that? Crescent Dex. So this cross-chain MEV case is very tricky because it's not really incentive aligned in sort of valuing the, the complete supply chain between who generates the MEV and who captures it, right? So one of the things that we're trying to do at, at Mechatech is fix this. As a uh, uh, the, the builder layer will eventually evolve to support multiple chains and then provide atomic execution on multiple chains and make sure that the delegators on uh, osmosis are remunerated for the transaction uh, origination as well as the, um, the delegates on the validator up on, on Crescent Dex. Mm. 
things are get even. So that's the second complex case. The third complex case where things get really interested, interesting is where um, interchain accounts allows not just like users to be originators on chains, but the entire zone essentially can be an, an originator for MEV, right? So in interchain accounts, it essentially allows um, zones to have foreign representation. So you could be like the Cosmos Hub could evolve into like a platform for capital formation. You know, you have a community pool and say you want to make an investment, right? That's going to be on Crescent Dex and the community pool passes a governance proposal and says, yes, we are going to buy, you know, 100,000 interop tokens. And those interop tokens just happen to be, you know, on, on, on osmosis, right? Yeah. So yeah. the Cosmos Hub validators, right? The entire zone is like the originator for that MEV. But who's going to capture it on the other side, right? Because it's like even with encryption or not encrypted, it's going to be finalized and it's going to be it's going to be a commitment and there's going to be value there. And the question is, like, who captures that value? So right now, in this particular case with interchain accounts, similar to the Crescent Dex and uh, Osmosis case, it'll be someone else then who, who generates it. OK, I'm, I'm not sure I, I exactly follow there. So can you give me a practical example of like what this would look like? Because the way the way I see cross chain MEV is. Uh, and, and so like the, the use case that I had in, envisioned for this is you have uh, someone making a trade on, let's say on Crescent, right? Right. And like there's, there's, there's a, a wide, um, there's a spread between what the price of that asset is on Crescent to what the price of the asset is, let's say on Osmosis. Correct. And so be, um, because there are uh, searchers looking at the entire chain and they're at all the chains and they're able to just like identify what prices are, um, the block uh, producer would introduce transactions that would in fact go do that trade over on osmosis because it's more profitable for them correct and then they would capture the spread and then like give the user whatever that user thinks they should be getting because that's what they, the price they saw yeah so um, that, i mean i think we're like halfway into the podcast and we haven't done the traditional thing of like explaining what mev is you know so, <laughs> so maybe we'll start with just a definition which i yeah. think will clarify things a little bit so sorry about yeah. that but like MEV is like the the maximum amount of value like a sequencer uh, that that can be exploited by a sequencer of transactions. Yeah. So like if you are the privileged like finalizer, if you're like the first person to know what's going to happen on uh on osmosis, either as like a proposer or as a finalizer, maybe the same person, but it's the maximum amount of value you could extract from that. So in the traditional case, you would think like, oh, I'm a I'm a, I'm a validator, right? I see some transactions come in. It's for some spread or whatever. I will inject my own transactions or that someone will pay me to, to inject those transactions, maybe front run it, back run it, whatever. And then the payment that I get from that operation is MEV, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's one, but that's one form of MEV. Another form of MEV, right, is as an originator. So if I finalize a transaction and I know that there's some huge displacement that's going to result, I know that the Cosmos Hub is going to buy you know, a th like 100,000 interop tokens or whatever, I have unique information, right? We have, this is like confidential information. This is the kind of information that like Nancy Pelosi steals from her husband, <laughs> right? So this is worth a lot, yeah. right? And even if you're not sequencing that, that block, even if you're not finalizing that block or exploiting it there, the fact that you can sell it to someone else as order flow, right, is very, very valuable. So in the interchain case, right, a lot of the... The, the cross-chain MEV is going to be the incentive for validators to sell information, right? To essentially be become originators of, of, of transactions, right? For other chains. Okay. 
Can you give an, uh, an example? So come, coming back to this governance, uh, this governance uh, proposal example. Um, yeah. Can you maybe, maybe run, run here's, that here's another yeah, example. Yeah. Here's yeah. another example with, uh, with um, NFTs, right? So when NFTs get minted, yeah, it usually creates a huge auction for the floor price. Yeah. It's like this huge race. So right now, when does it, when does it, when does an N NFT mint happen? Well, it depends, you know, they're like scheduled and usually there's some, insider information about it and all the bots are, are, are set up or and, and they're competing for that. Mm -hmm. But what if you have interchain accounts where like the zone who's like initiating the mint is not the one that's executing the mint. So like, what is, what is it to mint? It's just, you know, a smart contract call. Yeah. And with interchain accounts that could come from anywhere. So the cosmos hub could mint an NFT on Stargate of, I don't know you or us together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then the question is like, who knows first? So it's not going to be Stargate Zone anymore. It's going to be Cosmos Hub. Okay. So what what you're saying is by by using interchain accounts, the the Cosmos Hub um, can initiate a transaction. Yes. Okay. Maybe maybe my understanding of interchain accounts is not is not um, perfectly correct. So within the Cosmos Hub could initiate a transaction on another chain. Correct. And then. Uh, benefit from 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 the MVV, but so I mean, for for me, interchain accounts is simply the ability for um, a user on one account on on one chain to control an account on another chain. Correct, but not the chain itself. It could be anything. It could be the the entire. It's just wrapping a message, right? So how that message is generated. How does it, how is the how is the Cosmos Hub or how does the Cosmos chain initiate a transaction as a whole? I mean, it's just like it's so interchain accounts is I'm just like, it's just like an envelope. Yeah. Right. And inside is like a message that's going to go to a state machine. Yeah. So how that message is, is integrated is like, you know, it could be a user. It could be uh, a zone. It could be anything. It could be a, a DAO, you know, on, on a zone. It could yeah. be anything, just a message. Yeah. Right? So who generates that message is, is not really the point. It's where it's generated. Yeah. And where is it? Where is it guaranteed to happen? So the point is this, like if you generate an a uh, 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 an NFT mint on a chain, it's going to happen. The question is when and who benefits from it. So if it's going over IBC, you need like confirmations and all that stuff, but it's going to happen. It's going to be asynchronous. Mm -hmm. And the question is like, who's going to, who's going to um, get the floor price for in the NFT case? Okay. I think, I think I understand. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. But, but yeah, I think, I think maybe it's just my, my, my understanding of, of interchain accounts needs to be broadened a little bit because I, I I saw this like very kind of narrow use case of interchain accounts as like I have some tokens on chain A and um and I want to control those tokens from chain B. Sure. So for instance, like I want to be able to um tell these tokens to say like move over to another account or I want to like use another account, another chain to vote or, or something like that. So in general, yeah. like Cosmos is just like this uh, general message based system, yeah. right? Which or the Cosmos SDK split into modules, which process messages. Messages can do lots of things. One of the things they do is move tokens. Another thing they do is like process evidence. They slash users, they mint NFTs. Like it's a very customizable system that fits a whole set of, of, um, of, of applications, right? To fulfill this sort of like application specific blockchain. Now, usually different applications do different things. And the question is like, how do they communicate? Usually they communicate over IBC, mm -hmm. which is a general standard, which is not application specific. So like token transfer is it's just message passing. It's just message passing. So the message that could be passed between them through interchain accounts can be like, a, it could be a foreign zone specific message. So instead of me talking to you in the general IBC, 
you know, application level like ERC20, or sorry, ICS20 is the token transfer standard for, 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 for IBC. Mm-hmm. And that facilitates exactly as you say, sort of moving transactions or, or moving, moving tokens between, between two different chains. With interchain accounts or ICA, right, it's generalized. It's not just moving tokens. It's literally any message that is interpreted by the foreign state machine, mm-hmm. which could be take out a loan, it could be uh, mint an NFT. All the application specific utility becomes composable over IBC with interchain accounts. So it's actually going to be kind of a, a, a big deal um, when it's released. Mm. Do we do we have a, a, a timeline on when interchain accounts goes live? I think this year. Yeah, I think before shared security. I think it's uh, interchain yeah. accounts and then shared security in uh, early next year. Okay. Office, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's like lots of things also here that I wanted to talk about, but we lost a little bit of the a, a, a bit of the um, the flow. Yeah, sorry about yeah. that. The, the problem no, no, no. Is but I, when uh, you work in MEV, yeah. you be, you become like a little bit isolated because it's at the intersection of like economics and, and game theory and consensus design, and you you really have to to make progress in that in that intellectual space. You have to go quite deep, which I think is one of the the issue, the education issues that we're having across the ecosystem is when we think about it, we pose these very simplistic questions like, is it good or bad, right? Which is a very reasonable question to, to, to ask, like, am I going to get hurt by this? Like, as a user, are my users going to get hurt? I'm a protocol designer, application designer, trying to go to market. Are my, applica- are my users get, going to be impacted by this? And the answer is a very complicated yes. Right. For a whole bunch of sophisticated reasons that we're still sort of exploring, you know, we could take sort of the lessons that we've learned from from traditional finance and know that, like, what's most important is that the value chain is compensated. We could minimize the um, the 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 gossip by not randomizing. We've learned that from from Ethereum. But the truth is that there's still an enormous amount to, to learn, you know, so it's it's not. It's not the easiest conversation to 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 sort of navigate without with the context. So what, one of the things I was thinking about um, when preparing for this is, you know, like Megatech is say one um, market uh, for for MEV or uh, would you call it a market? Uh, but yeah, it is a market. Yeah, okay. It's so a, it's, it's an auction. Like, so it's like an auction market for MEV, and like you propose. Uh, block ordering that optimizes MEV for a specific miner. So, like as a miner, I should be incentivized. I should have an incentive uh, to 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 use Mechatech in order to uh, generate as much um, value from from the from my block space. Uh, w- one other uh, way to look at this is say we have a group of like um, say more altruistically uh, incentive or um, inclined miners that would say like, okay, this, this MEV that we're extracting, we're actually going to funnel it back into the ecosystem and maybe put that money in a DAO, uh, have that DAO um, fund public goods, for instance, mm-hmm. or like go to some other cause. I don't know, maybe like going to some like charity to fight hunger or whatever. Like, uh, is this, is this something that uh, exists? And do you think that it's, possible that some validators would um would participate in this sort of activity and like is it you know maybe coming back to some of the things we talked about earlier maybe the the answer to that is that like it's not viable just because uh there's an incentive to like stay in the validator set and sort of like if other miners are extracting value and compounding that interest like you'll never remain in the validator set unless you're uh, you know, attracting continuous amounts of, of delegations. Well, the, yeah, I think there is a, w- a way to make this happen. I think Cosmos already has like a really good governance 
system for this, and it's just like the delegation system. Delegates choose their validator that reflects their values, that votes their way for those reasons. So one thing that could attract delegators is just revenue, right? You could have like, you don't have to think only about myomic miners in, in, in the way that we did in sort of Ethereum EIP 1559 research, but instead can think about it at the governance layer as like, what are you selling to your delegates? It's your job as a validator to sort of represent their interest. What are they interested in? So I, I, I think that there will be validators that have different sort of local economic policies for what they do with their, their revenue. And they already do. Like right now, there is like a, 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 um, a free to choose commission rate for validators on most networks. You know, it's a pretty contentious um, conversation, actually, yeah. to, to say who decides how much uh, revenue validators should share and, and with who. Right. So one idea is that it should be done at the protocol layer. There be, should be some minimum for this idea that it'll increase decentralization. I think that validators, my, my personal opinion is that like validators should charge enough to be sustainable because the idea that they could not make money means that they have like a low cost of capital, which is, again, is like some source of centralization. Mm. Like you probably want like revenue streams to be quite um, uh, transparent to ensure that these people actually are representing the interests of, of their delegates. Like if they have like a 0% commission, they're probably selling order flow, mm. right? They're probably doing an, uh, an off-chain uh, agreement with someone that you don't know, and that's how they pay the, the, the servers. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that competitive right now. I know that. So if you're like a validator in um, like the sub 100 on osmosis, right? You're probably making like 50 bucks a day. Yeah. It's like not a, it's not a place you want to be. So the people that are there, or it's not a place you want to be economically. Let me say that. It's, it's, it's like not enough, even though servers are You can expensive. still be profitable with 50 bucks a day on osmosis. I mean, like, uh, like you're, you're, yeah. I mean, like you're not going to live a life of, you know. You're not else, going to Medellin. You're yeah. not going to Medellin, <laughs> but like, you know, what is, what is a like Hetzner bare metal server cost? It costs mm -hmm. like 50 bucks a month, right? Like, so, um, yeah. Yeah, you could, you can do it. Um, but I, what, what I'm saying is, that valid it's important that we have like a lot of heterogeneity uh in the validator set to in ensure like the ecosystem continues to evolve right and that means that even low validators need some kind of sustainable rate to participate not just to buy servers but to spend the time reading governance proposals right so there's like you know computer time is is not expensive right yeah. no one no one cares about that people care about people time and about like what it takes to be an active member of this community what does it take to like keep up to date on mev to listen to this podcast to do the research necessary to make very difficult decisions about which way the ecosystem could go and i don't think 50 dollars a day is enough i think that it should it should be more it should be at least 75 75 is a good number <laughs> <laughs> no like you know one, one of the things that that we're thinking about uh with interop is and, and some other some other friends that um, you know, shooting this idea back and forth, and uh, this is sort of like alpha here. I mean, I've, I've been talking about it all week, but uh, I have never mentioned it here on the podcast. Is that we we want to we want to create a validator that um, takes a higher commission. So instead of it being like five percent, the commission would be something like around the range of thirty percent. The validator um, commission withdrawal address would be a DAO, right? Mm -hmm. So like we would uh, withdraw all the commissions to a DAO. That DAO um, would pay us some amount of money to run the infrastructure, um, and then the rest would um, would be up for governance. So the this would be like the holy grail here would be for uh, the delegators to have uh, DAO tokens in proportion to their stake. Now the the challenge here is that that 
that stake, it, it, you know, is constantly moving. So like, would you have like a rebase mechanism or what would like that? That's, that's a bit complex, but essentially the idea is so that the delegators get to decide what the money goes to. Right. And, and it's like, like, why does this not exist? I, I, I know. Like, oh, I, I know really. Like, so we <laughs> thought of this like... and we're like, we're just a bunch of idiots. Like, well, you, know, we, you know, we thought of this, like, why does this not exist? And, 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 um, you know, I think there's there's some precedent for it. If you look at FMOS, like there's a top five validator that takes 100% commission mm -hmm. uh, to, to fund public goods and to fund like, uh, I think her name is Loretta and she she, she does this, uh, this all this open source development. And there's another validator that takes something like 20% uh, also, I think, to fund some kind of like education or public good. And so we, we we're looking at this opportunity. We're saying like, hey, like this is, this is a cool thing that allows us to fund public good and set some precedent around like, how delegators um, think about like what their stake means, like really this money that I'm going to be staking, what is it, what is it doing to help the ecosystem? Not just like help me as a delegator. You're still making some amount of commission, but you're also helping grow the ecosystem by funding this public good. And then, you know, the, the kind of um, end state here, and this, you know, this, this is a lot more complex and, you know, is, in order to uh, to help even grow the the stake on 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 some of these chains, is to set this up such that the DAO is actually like a registered charity mm -hmm. or like a registered nonprofit that uh, like is tax deductible. So then you can you can go see investors and say, hey, like buy at that buy a million dollars of atom, stake that atom. You get to participate as a delegator. You get to you know enjoy sort of like the long term. Uh, you, you know, if you're long, you, you get to be long on atom, and you're also getting a tax break. Because mm -hmm. you're funding public goods infrastructure, it's like, yeah, uh, it's a long way, long road to get there. But that's kind of like the idea that that we want to try to explore. So, is the implementation just like changing the the payment address and like a website or like? Well, uh, that that we're not entirely sure. So, I know that when you so in a Cosmos chain, uh, you can specify the delegator, uh, the, the the commission withdrawal address. But you know, of course, like we you know we could change that at any time. So mm -hmm. that might not be sufficient. Um, I was talking to guys here, uh, Obel, they're doing, do you know them? So they're, they're building this kind of, um, I mean, it's mostly for, for Ethereum validators right now, but it uses BLS signatures to split up the validator key so that multiple infrastructure providers are validating on the same key. Like Horcrux. Yeah. Like Horcrux, but where, um, you can build clusters essentially of like different companies, mm -hmm. uh, and it's like a service, right? So it's like. I, I don't know if can you do this with Horcrux? Can you? I think you just like it's just threshold decryption for the keys, so you yeah. split it up. So I think like they're building this sort of like as a so there's like a gossip layer that allows mm -hmm. like different infrastructure providers. So you could have like a chorus, a figment, and whatever like all validating under the same key. So here the idea would be that the the DAO would actually own uh, the validator key. Right? Mm -hmm. So like the the, um, the 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 DAO token holders would effectively be like the owners of the validator key and not like the infrastructure company. So yeah, there's lots of, we need to do a lot, a lot of technical research on how but why, work. why would you want to aggregate uh, validators behind a several key versus not just have multiple validators? Um, well, yeah, I mean, in, in this case, uh, in this case, like, you know, a lot of the value that would exist sort of like in the stack would, is is the validator key that is that has a policy to give thirty percent of its commissions to open like open source software? Mm -hmm. um, you're saying why not just have multiple validators doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean like oh. other validators can do the same thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, because I, I think we want the idea. I think the idea for us is for like we want to figure out how a DAO can own a validator. Mm. Yeah, like all the way up and down the stack. So like we as a company would just get paid to run soft servers, but we wouldn't actually own the key. It's just like we're an infrastructure provider to this DAO. No, I think it's I think it's a great idea, and like to this. So I think what we want in, in in Cosmos is to have like really high competition between validators to do great work, and usually at the human scale. So not just that, like the computer scale, as in you know validating voting on on blocks, but at the human scales and like participating in the process of making the network better. And I think that uh, one one good side of what you're proposing, as I see it, is that. Um, Actually, like actually developing public goods is like super expensive at the human scale. And it's yeah. like something you need to do for like a long time and you need to be quite reliable. It's not an operation that you want to like spin up and tear down in, 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 six, in six months. And right now, the current, you know, we have these institutions that kind of do this and kind of delegate to other people um, to do it. But I, I think in, in Cosmos, the direction that we, we, we want to take is that everyone just participates in the governance system that we've built, which actually works pretty well in terms of, of delegation. And that for, it should just be validators doing, doing core, core research. And um, it should, if we could fix the economics of it, it should be enough to, to sustain teams um, competing on, on that level. So mm -hmm. I think, I think there is a real potential here to sort of flesh out this idea. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. Maybe, maybe we can talk about it some more off, um, off air. Mm -hmm. Um, but What's... this but this goes into like so one of the innovations of, of of PBS is like right now we went over like the set of responsibilities that a validator does like gossiping transactions ordering transactions being sanctionable you know like all these things and I think at the beginning of Cosmos it was absolutely essential for for um for validators to do all these things right but now I I think the kind of stuff that you're talking about is a more valuable use of validator resources, right? So they should spend, they should really focus on serving their delegates and not on optimizing blocks, mm. right? Or running MEV shops. I don't know if like, I don't think like setting up an, an internal MEV op, uh, operation is like a good use of that commission mm. that you take from the network via inflation or, or, or block rewards or, or whatever. So I think, we are sort of setting this direction, but there is a technical component of it. Mm. So if we want this like political objective that we want a politically competitive validator set that actually takes like very, very meaningful role in the development of the network. It also means that we need to sort of like streamline a lot of the stuff that is like core to their business, which yeah, is like you're, the block. You're talking about specialization. Right? You're talking about specialization. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, validators need to, well, I mean, this is this is something that you know. I, I was talking to with I was talking with um, like Daniel from from Steakfish and uh, Teddy. Like we were we were in in in, um, in Korea and we had you know, several conversations about like the the political role of of validators and you know they did a validator commons workshop at at Nebula Summit that um, you know was focused a lot about around um, encouraging validators to like have sort of political opinions about like where the networks that they're delegating and uh, or staking in uh, should, should be heading in. Like, yeah, I think it, it does take a lot of time. Like even, even just like me running one validator, like, you know, I've missed some governance proposals. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you could see yeah. it in MinScan. It's, it's all, it's all apparent. So there's like part of it that's already quite legible, right? You could tell per validator 
what they voted it or not, but the interpretation of it, like it varies a lot, mm. you know, different networks, validators, like, do you need to vote on every automated, like, uh, like inflation adjustment to the different pools in osmosis? Like, I don't know. I don't think that's important. And also there's a lot to be considered behind a vote. So even when there, when you do vote on something, the question is why did you vote on it? Because you're high conviction or are you voting because you see the political momentum sort of swaying in that and you want to be on the right side of it? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of that. I think there, there, there's, there, there's a lot of that. And we need to think about what what that does to our our ecosystem. And the, the big threat here is that large validators have so much at stake that is it reasonable to expect them to not do that? Mm. Like when you think about like a, like. Like a like a like a block team. I don't mean to be calling out people by yeah. name, but these are these are these are these yeah. are good people that are bringing a lot of value to the ecosystem in terms of bringing in institutional money that is going to secure the network. Right, that's very very good. But the question: Are they going to put that money on the line mm. to move the ecosystem forward? Are they going to take that risk? Or even large large investors? Yeah, you know, are large investors going to step in when the ecosystem needs dramatic change to rejuvenate its growth potential? Right. Do, do you think that the one one solution would be to have like private voting for 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 validators? I think the solution is to have small validators have more of a weight in voting. I would like I, in, in, uh, implemented at the protocol level. I think it could be at the protocol level, or even just uh, at the at the feasibility level. You know, like if you're a, a, a small validator, right? You deserve sort of a, a voice, not just like on chain, but probably probably off chain. And there's probably going to be new sets of institutions that are going to facilitate that. Hmm. Like what? I think that um, instead of there being sort of a, a central body that is sort of um, a statutory state body, like, you know, uh, like a foundation, like a nonprofit foundation that sort of oversees developments of, um, of, of, of sort of core infrastructure or of, of, of the network itself. Or even a, a development team, I think it should it, it'd be interesting to see what kind of institutions you can form, whether it's just like institutions of validators, mm -hmm. right? So like if you're like a core development team, I think Osmosis did some really great innovation in the token economics and ensuring that the core team today doesn't have to be the core team tomorrow. Because who knows? Like they should have to compete for that role. Mm -hmm. There should be an open market for that role. Um, I think the ICF is also doing a lot of interesting work trying to diversify its its, its board, yeah. bring in more members, bring in new ideas, right? But that's a statutory institution, and Swiss Swiss foundations are very slow. They're meant that's the the, the, the one yeah. thing. This, <laughs> this is blockchain; it moves very quickly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So is that the right institution? I would argue no, and not because they're not good people trying out good ideas, but just because the structure of it is just doesn't fit with the cadence necessary for evolution in in, in crypto. So. My hope is that, you know, um, this is probably stealing an idea from Jay that, um, you know, most cosmos chains will operate like republics and that the validators will be will be senators. Yeah, I, I think that's not an unlikely scenario. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think like validators... I think as 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 more token holders come into the ecosystem, like there will be less and less, um, and and also as token holders are abstracted away from the token, right? Like with like liquidity token uh, um, derivatives and like liquidity mining tokens, and less and less people will participate in governance, and validators will basically be um, making all making all the decisions effectively. Perhaps not like practically speaking, anybody will be able to uh, to vote, but 
you know, there is this like issue with voter participation in, in, in crypto, but also like in our general political yeah, system. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing new. Yeah, which is a set, what, like, how do you develop a political economy that's like very competitive amongst validators is, 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 is the question. How do you create institutions that facilitate that competition? Yeah. That I think Cosmos at its, at its rate of development has been in a stage of like, oh, we're all friends, we all get along, until we don't. And then it's like a big shock. But yeah. actually, like, the whole point of Cosmos <laughs> is for people to be sovereign and to, and to disagree, but in a way that is, that is productive. Yeah, right? and I think there's like some interesting development around sub DAOs and things of that nature but yeah anyway. DAO is developing a lot of great tools yeah. for, for this and we're seeing those protocols like sommelier which is essentially uh, a bunch of companies sort of collaborating yeah. on it, like a bunch of DAOs. it is a composition of, of inclusion and strange love and and, and and a lot of other projects sort of contributing to that to that one protocol yeah yeah that's oh, very cool well um we're we're going a little long here we're an, an hour and 12 minutes so maybe to wrap things up um what's uh what's on the roadmap for mecca and where can people find out more and maybe like do you have any research that you publish or oh right yes uh so you could read our open documentation we've kind of like opened it up i think we're going to put it in the show notes where you could see sort of how to use the api and how to integrate it where can we get that because i was looking for that i was looking for docs but i couldn't really there's a notion that we have a new website coming okay there's a new website <laughs> before medi so um I know this is live, so there's like not a lot of a chance to, to capture the attention. But before Medellin, we will have a website that will have the open documentation, but we could provide a link probably in the, in the show notes or we'll, we'll post it on, on our Twitter, which of course is um, uh, Mecca underscore T3K. You can follow us uh, on Twitter. And of course, you can come see us um, in, in Medellin for the, for the panel with uh, Sunny and Skip. Okay, cool. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. And what are you going to do later? To, what's your, what are your merge night plans? Uh, I'm going to go sleep Okay, and <laughs> feel like a human being again tomorrow because I got to go back to Lisbon um, to uh, to work with the team. All Mechatech is coming in for uh, a retreat. Cool. Yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your week in Berlin then. Yeah, cool. Thanks again. Thanks. Yeah.